And you're very welcome to Wade In as we look back on the first classic of the season at Newmarket. The first two classics, should I mention. The 2000-1000 guineas, plenty of action from the weekend at Newmarket, plus the review of Punchestown as well, now that the five-day marathon has come to a finish. So I'd like to be joined, as always, by Mr. Kevin Blake. How are you, Kev? Happy Bank Holiday Monday to you. Happy Bank Holiday Monday is right, Hugh. And as anyone that's listening to works in racing knows, Bank Holidays mean nothing, only more work. So it's not something to be celebrated at all, is it? <laughs> no, no, it means more drink for me, Kev. So uh, I'm certainly not celebrating at 9am on a Monday morning. How are you, TC, after your little week in Dublin? Are we all refreshed and ready to rock? Yeah, yeah. The tooth yeah. survived, which was a massive odds-on shot. So, yeah. yeah. Lovely, lovely. And yourself, Vanessa Royal, I did see you at Pontestown. I kind of waved at you in the corner, but then I turned around and you were gone off with Christian Williams and I was working, so we never got to actually say hi. <laughs> but did you have a nice time? Yeah, yeah, I had a really good time. I, did, I don't want that to sound like it sounded. I, <laughs> that's you how it you, you, you were walking away after after Christian's horse ran in, at Pontestown, that's all I meant. Yeah, um, no, Christian was on very good form, actually. He was very cheery form all week. Uh, no, I had a great time, great trip, usual merriment, usual thing. Just fantastic. All good. Okay, Kev, 2000 guineas. Charlie Appleby, but not the one we thought. What do you think of the race? <laughs> I, I loved I loved the winner. Um, I loved the winner. Like, he, he really impressed with him last season. You just didn't know how good he was. Um, like the, there was a strong impression there that we didn't see the very best of him last season because of you know he end, ended up in front too soon etc. But it was the question was whether he could come up to native trails level and and he duly did and and, and won quite well I thought. Um, now one thing you'd say is that following the kind of the conclusion of all the action at Newmarket and you look at the way the draw was playing out o- over the few days, like history might well show that Nathan Trey did a massive job from stall 15 to, um, to, to, to run as well as he did because low numbers like were, were seemed to be quite heavily favoured. Um, but Corbus, you know, a beautiful ride by James Doyle. It's one thing to kind of know that you have to ride patiently and wait as long as you dare, but to execute it in a classic is fair going and, it was interesting to hear him afterwards saying that he was kind of, it was one of those. Always you know, the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of thing. Yeah. No, not even that, but it just like, obviously his plan was to wait and wait. And he said that he was waiting and Luxembourg kind of arrived up on his outside all of a sudden. And he kind of ended up going a bit earlier than he planned to because he didn't want to leave Luxembourg go. Um, so he said that if he, if he, if he'd waited longer, he probably he thinks he probably would have won easier. So, you know, that's what we're dealing with. Like, it's, it's, it's a very good horse, I'd say. And um, St. James's Palace at Royal Ascot, native trail to go to the Irish Guineas, Luxembourg to go down the Derby route. Um, I'd say this was a pretty good Guineas, Hugh. And yeah. um, looking forward to seeing how they all progress. Well, well Vanessa, you, I know you were um, up to your neck in native trail and you were a huge fan and you were absolutely expecting he was going to go and do business, as did a lot of people, in fairness. And um, so what, how did you kind of feel after? Was it, was it a kind of mixed feelings or what did you think? Uh, no, look, it, it was, I think Caribus is, like Kevin said, a really good horse. I think anybody who, you know, we spoke about it beforehand, Native Trail had done all his showing off on the track, whereas Caribus, you were kind of going on a lot of hearsay and new market gossip about kind of the way, you know, the race course gallop. It's, it's one for the race course gallopers, isn't it, this year's guineas? Um, <laughs> disappointingly. Yeah. 
But, um, you know, everyone was talking about that race course gallop, of course, only a fraction of people actually got to see it. But anybody who did see it was banging on about how spectacular it was. So it was kind of um, potential versus the proven. And the way you couldn't help but be impressed with the way Caribus did it, the way he travelled, he travelled all over the shop. I mean, I think things went perfectly for him and they probably didn't go quite so perfectly for Native Trail. Um, but look, he won the race fair and square and in the process, you know, bang, like Godolphin have produced two stallion, like, you know, after that race, they come out, it's a complete win-win for everyone. They've got a champion European two-year-old who'll be a stallion and now a Guinea's winner who'll be a stallion. They'll both stand for 50k or whatever i mean literally they're just printing money over there not that they need it but it was the absolute dream result in many ways uh for that operation and as for the i must admit for the james doyle factor the feel good james doyle factor that came out after the race i don't know about you guys but that james doyle angle had completely passed me by i didn't really realize he was sort of having such a low couple of years i know that might sound a bit naive or stupid or something but in my eyes he rides nice horses he's at all the big meetings he's riding well he's with the top operation i didn't realize he was having quite such a tough time until i listened to obviously all the interviews in the aftermath of the guineas and you couldn't help but feel absolutely delighted for him after when you heard him speak and everything but i wouldn't i, I didn't even i wasn't even that angle, that story angle wasn't even in my mind going into the race until mm. they crossed the line. Then the aftermath happened. Yeah, he was pretty emotional afterwards. I, I, you know, I know our Tony Calvin loves a good emotional jockey story. In fact, Tony pays more attention to the jockey booking sometimes than he does actual horses and when they're running. But, <laughs> TC, you could, I, I bet you were tickled pink when you saw Doyle crossing the line like that in the interview he gave afterwards. No, I like Vanessa. I mean, I, I didn't know he was having a, a big downturn. Um, mm. Everyone knows I pay literally no attention to jockeys whatsoever. So it did you pay attention to anyone, TC. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, uh, it did. <laughs> so it did catch me unawares, but he obviously came across really well, didn't he? And uh, looking at the race as a whole, Kev's right. Yeah. I think Native Trail from 15s run an absolute screamer. Uh, as uh, everyone looks at the Guineas, you know, going on to the Derby, but I didn't see many. I didn't see many uh, good good trails there. I mean. I think Eden, the fourth. Eden, come on, Eden. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, I think um, I was having a look at the um, the exchange market for the Derby this morning, and I after that run, and I saw Luxembourg at three point five five, and but I, I know he's a, I know he's like he's, he's on the the size, you know, imparts a lot of stamina and stuff like that. I can't have him over the Derby trip for for some reason. It's the horse has never really crept out of me. Uh, uh, especially, you know, Doncaster last year. I, I didn't really fancy him that much for the Guineas, but he obviously ran very well in form terms in what's going to be really good there. But I can't have him over the trip. But just going back to the betting for the Derby, um, and I, I was just come, I was just about to come on here and say 3.55 is an absolutely joke of a price, and he, he's a he's a definite at 3.6. But then I look look down the list, it's, it's absolutely staggering the lack of depth there. You've got New London, who's a um, new market novice winner, he's the second favourite at nine. He might run in the Chester Vars or the Dante, another good old fin horse, albeit he did win that novice under a £7 penalty. Um, and you've got Reach for the Moon, who haven't really heard much about him. He's still in the Dante, that's the Queen's horse. And I must admit, the fourth favourite in the race, and after this, it's about 25 to 1 plus on the exchange. Have you ever heard of a horse called Walk of Stars, who's current fourth favourite for the Derby on the exchange? <laughs> Have you heard of him? No. No. Well, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the stand-up. I'm not the stand-up. Like. Yeah, if you, I haven't heard of him, like, it doesn't mean anything. 
You probably haven't heard of Arsenal Dancing Brave, have you? You haven't. But, um, <laughs> no, but it's a walk of stars. It's four favourite for the Derby. He won a free one race at Newbury by neck. And he's yeah. four favourite for the Derby. Now, I know he's trained by the good old Finn lot, but Jesus Christ. I mean, like you said, like I said, I was going to get stuck into Luxembourg at 3.6, but I don't think we've got much running for me at the I moment. Suppose, I suppose the thing is, TC, like there's going to be a lot of development in this in the next yeah. few weeks. Like you have the, you're, you're going to have the Dante Linkfield Chester, you know, Leopard, Leopardstown Derby trial. Um, like there'll, gonna... be a fair, there'll be a fair few maiden winners that will kind of surely kind of step up a good bit and kind of put themselves in the picture. Um, like in the next kind of two or three weeks. That leads me. They'll yeah. leave me. But coming back to Eden, um, I thought he ran a, a great race. He's a bit worrying. They said it come, became unbalanced coming to the dip and stuff as it goes to Epsom, but. I thought he ran a brilliant trial in fourth there. If they are going to back on the Derby route, Vanessa, local village, local obviously, village pride, huh? Yeah, obviously he was coming back from a mile one win, and he, he looked all stamina that day as well. So I thought if you, it's forty to forty plus on the exchange, I don't know whether Epsom is the plan for the horse, but if it goes there, um, I'll be I'll be all over him. But then yeah, again, one for the one for the local village. Can't wait. Oh, and right. I know. But then again, get... if he does say we're going there, I mean the forty will come. You know, become yeah. twelve. But because um, the running plan's being confirmed. But no, um, but didn't think much about it as a as a trial for the for Epsom. I must admit, outside of the fourth. Hmm. Yeah, Eden, Eden. I mean, I'm biased towards Eden because of my location to the village. It's, it's, it's quite it's, all right. It's, I'm not actually biased towards him. I think he's a really lovely horse. He looked magnificent. He looked like, uh, I thought he looked really eye-catching in the paddock before the guineas and he ran accordingly and uh, taking away my interest in him. He, for me, was definitely the horse to take out of it for the derby. But what, I mean, he is... I that the factor about whether he'll handle Epsom would be a bit of a question mark for me at this stage, but he's sort of taking big steps forward with improvement physically and mentally every run now, uh, every you know that we've seen of him over the last six weeks or whatever it's been, and less than that, four weeks. But um, yeah, for me, he was the one to take out of it. I was super impressed with the way he traveled and what he did at the end of the race as well. Kev, Kev, explain to me why the low numbers is significant here. Is it just not? I mean. Over a mile, and look again. You're you're, you're talking to somebody here who, who has absolutely never ever sat on a horse. So, like in terms of a race, why is the low numbers and were they significant over the weekend in terms of producing winners over a mile on a flat track and a straight track like that? It doesn't seem to me like it should have any bearing or weight whatsoever. But obviously, it's just it must just be. the ground. The ground is riding a bit faster over there. What right, I assume okay. was the read. Like sometimes these things can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The jockeys get it in their head that a certain yeah. part of the track is favoured. They they all go there and. You know, it's very difficult to quantify if it is or isn't, but um, like you look through, and I know it's dangerous to go on just winners, but you look at all the winners over the course of the couple of days, yeah. and like the vast majority of them like are, are notably low. Um, and we had look, we had obviously some like Native Trail who who performed very well and hit the frame from high numbers, but geez, when you when you lay them all down in a line, there there certainly looks to be a bit of a pattern there, and that is that the low was the place to be. Um, just quickly on Luxembourg, I, I was more impressed with that as a trial than Tony was. Like, I think I wouldn't underplay what happened right at the start. Like, he, he clipped the heel and stumbled, and it seemed to really put him on the back foot. Because, like, one thing you'd say about him last year is he kind of like he looked quick at a mile, um, and he didn't look quick here. Uh, and I think uh, I suspect what happened early, like, really put him on, a, on the back foot, and then he, he's made up a good bit of headway. Um, all of a sudden, uh, and it's probably paid for very late. 
you know, I think essentially the race just went badly wrong for him and um he, he'll be uh he'll be a lovely ride in the derby, I'd say, you know, he'll travel very well and um look he's a he's a big lad to be going down around Epsom, but I don't think it'd be a big a big problem personally. Um that can be overplayed slightly at times. So um while I can see TC's case that he might look a bit short the minute before um a lot of the big trials take place, um I, I'd be more positive about his his run as a trial than, than TC. Tony, I was playing uh, I was playing pool yesterday, I went in yesterday afternoon to have a few games of pool um, in a town about 10 minutes away from here. And one of the lads at the table up beside me who listens to the podcast from over and said, uh, I hope Calvin's going to give that sheep mo plenty of crop tomorrow what about the fact that he wasn't there. Anyway, he said, I hope you're going to mention it. Anyway, and he went on a bit of a, um, a kind of spiel about it. And I said, absolutely. I said, Calvin will not let you down there. Look, he wasn't there. He was, you know, notable by his absence, if you like, um, TC. But... Uh, well, I mean, what, what no, well, for the race itself and, and for the participants, it was a, it was a godsend that he wasn't there because obviously I don't know the last time he was seen in the country, but um, you know, in the Greg Wood put out in the Garden that he may, he might actually be there on Saturday. Uh, if he was, obviously he, he he wasn't seen in in the public areas, but no, he's he, no he would have cast a shadow over the whole lot, wouldn't he? I mean, he would have been the he would have been the he would have been the talking point there. Because he wasn't there, the press didn't need to bring it up in in interviews and stuff like that. So it allowed Charlie Appleby and, and James Doyle, you know, their you know their big day in the sun. But yeah, it clearly, clearly, it's always there lurking in the background, doesn't it? I mean, whenever he shows a ra- his face on a race course again, it's 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 going to become it's going to become a bit a big issue. And it's like I said, it's it's it, it takes the shine off it, um, yeah. but it didn't on the day because he wasn't there. But if he was there, I mean, it would have been. It would have been a whole different kind of um, narrative altogether. But yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's clearly not ideal when everyone shies away from talking about the owner. It's, it's in direct you know, contrast to Cachet's winning the Thousand Guineas. No, he's, like, yeah. he's better off. If he is going to be continuing the sport, and obviously the whole new market hopes he is, then, yeah. um, then obviously he's best if he's not seen and not heard. Okay, what did you make of Cache then, Vanessa? Um, obviously a double, as you mentioned, for James Doyle, but uh, Cache, were impressed with her? Uh, I mean, the race panned out for me how it looked beforehand, e.g. obviously you had a bigger price horse winning, a bigger price horse filling the second spot, mm. and it, you know, it was a wide-open classic, wasn't it? And that was the way it went in the end in terms of the result as well. Uh, James Doyle, I suppose, you just like it's one of those tales that you couldn't really make up and he just bounced out, set seemingly lovely fractions. The petrol gauge was obviously running low at the end, but nothing was good enough to come out the pack and come and get her. I think when you watch the replay back, there's a load of horses that... I mean, if you didn't know that they were already, they'd already run at the track, you'd say they didn't handle the track. A couple in behind, like Tenebrism, not maybe not handle the track, but Tenebrism and um, Sandrine, both of them, you know, they looked very green on the in into and out of the dip, which was a bit surprising given that we've already seen them at Newmarket before. I think Sandrine was the one to take out of it at a bigger price for me. Um, she looked to get all like completely lost in the dip and then came home really well. And obviously they were worried about her not staying the trip in the end. But if we're talking about those horses, maybe looking a bit uneasy on the track, the, the opposite applies to Cache. It's seemingly listening, well, watching her runs, looking at her form and then listening to the voice 
um, listening to the interviews afterwards, she seemingly just brings her absolute A-game to Newmarket and really does handle the dip and the way she goes into it and comes out the other side. Uh, look, is it a vintage renewal of a classic? No. Was it a great result? Yes. I, I love the fact that it's, as Tony's touched upon there, just such a stark contrast to the Colts division in the fact that in the, in the profile of this horse and the owners, not just the fact that it's owned by a syndicate, obviously, but even just her herself. She's a breeze up horse, um, you know, the breeze up industry. This is exactly what they want. They want to be producing top notches now. They've got a, you know, historically they would have had a reputation of fast two-year-olds and now they've really put so much time and effort into making their industry more of a um you know they what they want to be producing the very best basically and that's what they're starting to do now so it was a real win for the breeze up boys and also for kind of breeding on a budget i saw a tweet earlier i think the dam was brought for three grand in full to cachet and the stallions fee at the time was six they're carrying cachet yeah so you know, you just, that's pretty unheard of, unseen in this day and age against the superpowers. So it really was a, a big win for all the right reasons on that level. But do I think it's a vintage renewal? No. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. I suppose put it into some kind of context. James Doyle as well, the fifth jockey to do the uh, 1,000, 2,000 guineas double. So a massive weekend for him, really. Um, let's just talk about some other uh, notable results, if you don't mind, uh, folks. Kev, stay to rest. I mean, look, obviously, I know you have, uh, you have, connections here but um in terms of you know you put up on 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 um, twitter there last night three group one wins on three different continents in the last three starts i mean like for a horse that's you know flexible enough to do that good enough to do that and obviously has a temperament and, and everything to go with it it's quite something isn't it ah jeez i love this horse you he's he's absolute nails he is hard as nails and, and he's obviously very talented to go with it too like um, it was it, it was a brave enough. Show. It was kind of an unusual thing for Joseph to do to travel a horse for his first start of the season to a Group One. He like he wouldn't normally like to do that. Um, that there was kind of a hint in that, and um, Sherlock who, who was taking on the best that the best that they have in France, and I don't think the race went perfectly for him. You know, the the other riders kind of um made it a small bit tricky. He was caught a bit wider than ideal, and then he had to kind of go around the pacemaker to peel off to let's see the way up his inside. And it was a bit messy, but like he, he showed a real great attitude and, and uh, fought him on off and, and won well. Um, Stewart's inquiry afterwards, the jockey on the second actually objected and um, he ended up getting fined for, uh, for, for, filing fr- for filing a frivolous objection. <laughs> Just quite funny. <laughs> good old French. The good old but, French. Love Get it. Love, things we love to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was a magic day. Now I was I was very very lucky to be there. Kind of took off there on Saturday evening with the lads. And you, you it, didn't, it, I'm so disappointed you didn't get on the beers or get a private jet. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, much more on a budget now. But uh, it was great. A great oh, cheap, day. Now. Cheapskate Joseph O'Brien and the O'Briens. Jeez, they wouldn't spend Christmas. <laughs> wouldn't spend Christmas. <laughs> Who owns that fella, by the way, Kev? Who did he change hands recently? No, he did. Yeah, there was a deal done to kind of um, to to basically sort out where he's going to stand as a stallion. Um, so an Australian farm called, called Newgate Farm um, bought into him. Um, and he's going, and he, and he ran in what, what would be known there as the China Horse Club colours. There's various going to be various shareholders in him in the Southern Hemisphere, and um, he's going to stand down there and stand it in Ireland as well. So he'll, he'll be doing both jobs. And um, I tell you, he, like he is, he is nails. Like if it was, what's one word for state of state of wrestling? He is nails because it, it was kind of well documented 
what he had to go through to get to get to the Cox Plate last year, like all the bone scans and, and CT scans and quarantine and just it was endless. Uh, and he still turned up and, and yeah. went from one, you know. It's uh, going to be an exciting year now. I'd say he'll go Tats Gold Cup next, I'd imagine, back at the Curra, uh, and then possibly on to Royal Ascot. And so he'll be, doing a, he'll be doing a bit of riding and a bit of riding. Is that what you're saying? The best of both worlds. Yeah, should look at well, well, we'll wait till he's finished running first, but uh, yeah, he'll be, he'll, he'll be an exciting sire now. Um, but right. there'll be plenty of enjoyment in between now and then. Um, Tony, did, Tony Mullins, Tony Calvin was obviously yeah. delighted with uh, Princess Zoe's win, and she, a uh, bit like State of Rest, you know, seems to be willing and able to go anywhere and, yeah. and come up with the goods, you know, horse of a lifetime for him, I guess. There was a bit of controversy about this though, in terms of. Um, the stewards' inquiry, and I know some people on Twitter feel that placing should have been reversed, she should have lost the race. What's your own view on, on what happened there? Well, having a look at the head on, um, I've, I've enemy was clearly quite considerably badly done to, and he wasn't beaten far in third, so um, it was a curious one because the stewards' report said they weren't certain that you know, uh, you know, enemy was that, um badly done to that he wouldn't have at least got second. Now, I don't see how I can come to that conclusion. In, in fact, the, the terminology they use is wrong anyway in the stewards report, whether that's just um, an oversight or, or whatever. But I mean, I mean, enemy inferred, was badly hampered on the rail, was only beating a minimal uh, amount of distance you know, to get second. So I, mean, I think there's a, there's a, there was a very, very good, I wasn't, I was at punches down, so I wasn't watching the running betting, but mm. I think it was a. I think it was about four or six quick form to get the race. Um, but it, anyway, it was it was quite a close margin. But no, I, I would have I would have chucked her out um, and placed her third. Um, I I'm just these rules and the stewarding system. Uh, we speak we've spoken about it quite a lot. But this was a similar situation too. And now this is going to be a pointless point to make on a podcast because I can't remember the fecking name of the horse. But do you remember I was at Lingfield reporting and the winner got chucked out. The second ended up winning the race, never looking like the winner. And the third, you know, that happened, didn't it, at Lingfield? And I cannot remember the name of the horse. It'll come to me. Paul Keeney mentioned in Rillo in the Bet365 Gold Cup last year as an identical situation to this. So that's another example. Yeah, and this... Yeah, and this was the same at Lingfield and everyone was talking about the Enrillo thing. It was just earlier this year. It'll come to me. I'll put it on my Twitter. But, I mean, that day I was kind of a bit surprised that the places did get altered. And then this day at Asker, I was so surprised that the places didn't get altered. And it just, I suppose, highlights for me the um, how there's just no continuity in the stewarding or the implementing of these roles. See, like that, Vanessa, you should be a steward. <laughs> and it's just it's just like it's just so frustrating we all know we need centralized stewarding we all know it's not going to happen we all know it's too expensive but it just comes down to the fact that it's pretty frustrating that in these situations it just could go either way sometimes i just feel like it just could go either way but is it too expensive is it not going to happen sorry that's what we're okay. told kevin yeah, I, have no like, I, I think i think it will happen and i i, I can't i i, I couldn't abide the, the expense argument now because you know arguably if you if you ran a properly it'd probably be it might work out cheaper than sending professional stewards around the country but um actually look i, I i'm not going to go on about it now because i'm so jaded on the issue at this stage but in terms of <laughs> in, in, interference and the 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 complete lack of ability of the stewards to enforce the rules properly the, jo- the jockeys therefore take the mick 
and and you know pull off maneuvers like this with with you know with impunity most of the time. And I tell you what, just, yeah. I tell you what might hasten this. Obviously, we're we're talking about twenty world world total days, aren't we, or something like that in in this season. You know, punters in that country aren't going to stand for you know the kind of levels of inconsistency in this jersey here. I'm not. I'm not. I, I say I wouldn't know, wouldn't have a clue what they're doing in the Hong Kong and all the other jurisdictions, but. I think uh, we'll have to get our act together sooner rather than later because if you get a lot of controversial results uh, in the stewards for, you know, interference, um, I'm not yeah. sure, you know, I'm not sure how happy they would be, in, like I say, the, the punters in the other Jewish. Yeah, it, it makes you look rinky dink, like it makes you look like a bunch of barbarians um, <laughs> when, when so, uh, such a huge amount of interference is getting, you know, relatively unpunished, you know, compared to the, they be throwing lads in jail in Australia and, and Hong Kong for things to happen here and lads get two days for careless riding, you know, it makes, just makes you look like a bunch of yuppies. The levels of scrutiny in some of the stewards reports you see in Hong Kong, why were you looking around at that stage? Why did you just go, why did you take that manoeuvre? Why did you, why did you change your tactics from your previous runs? Jesus Christ. I mean, like I say, the levels of scrutiny abroad to this country is, is another issue as well that needs, mm. needs to be on because the integrity obviously is is paramount to, to these pools. And um, with the moonlight is eight from uh, 40 to one now um, for the Oaks after, I mean, she was very good, very good. Tuesday finished third in the Guineas um, yesterday, obviously um, kind of remains favourite there. So I don't know what you're reading to that, but I thought with the moonlight, Kevin was particularly uh, impressive. She yeah, bolted really up. Um, yeah. Now, how how much depth was in the race? I'm not, I'm yeah, not too sure, but none, um, Kevin, none. <laughs> um, I do like the second. I spoke about the second on on the podcast on Friday. I, th- I think she's a good filly, promising filly. But um, you know, uh, I suppose you have to be realistic about these things. Like the 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 winner has definitely improved. She's bred to to maybe get the mile and a half. So. Um, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's, it's more style than substance. Now. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in besides Tuesday now in terms of what she did in the Guineas. Um, like I, just very quickly on the Guineas, like that was a funny race. Like and I heard some feedback from some of the riders involved and they mentioned like that the ground was particularly fast and there was a bit of a tailwind. And, you know, you, you look at the result and pace held up awfully well. And um, I just would be a little bit cautious of it now as a piece of form. Yeah. And, and then we should mention um, Bakil as well. Um, Sioux Nation first season as a, a, a sire, Vanessa, uh, and yeah, this is particularly good. Yeah, I was actually at Ascot for Bakil and obviously Go Bears Go and Princess Zoe. Um, <laughs> uh, Bakil, funny, uh, so I was in a box and I tipped him up in the box because I just thought that Andrew's horses were quite forward. He'd already had a two-year-old winner. I like the Sioux Nation angle, obviously. I think Sioux Nation before Bakil had had two winners at the time. Um, but he was being really talked up as a sort of the sire for the season and the two-year-olds and liked what we'd seen of them so far. And so in that sort of race, I just took a swing with Bakil to, to the, when I was tipping in the box. And anyway, um, an owner came up to me who had a horse with Balding and was like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't think Balding is that keen on him or whatever. Not, not that keen on him, but he kind of put me off him. Anyway, went down to the ring to have a look at them in the paddock. And Bakil just walked around with his dick out the whole time and was very, very distracted. <laughs> just like very, I mean, he wasn't screaming his head off, but he definitely had his mind on everything things. but racing, shall we say. Right. And yeah. he was very, very green. And he's a, quite a big 
barrelly sort of oi, tank oi. of a thing. Oi, oi. <laughs> I was a bit. I hope you put this more delicately yeah. on Sky Sports Racing. Shut up. <laughs> and and I, out. Anyway, so I was. So I walked back up to the box and I was like, cut, cut, don't back him, don't back him. It was a big paddock negative from my point of view. Oh, no. Yeah, no, had a shocker. And so they were all like, who should we back instead? And they told them about the favourite, the Eve Johnson Horton horse. Anyway, <sighs> went completely Pete Tom for me. But obviously, uh, he did it really well. I mean, he was very green. He's going to come on loads for it. And Sue Nation, I'm excited about him. He's now got three winners on the board, a, a few horses running really well for him. I um, think he could be the big talking horse, the big talking star for the two-year-olds of the summer. And yeah, Bakil, I mean, I think he's about a 20 to one shot for the Coventry. And he's going to obviously have to come on a huge amount from that and be a bit more professional pre-race and during the race but he's clearly got a huge amount of talent maybe that's the CTC that's paddock intense. inspection very important so look, paddock inspection no good can come of it unless the sun's shining and it's all shiny <laughs> but what I would say just very quickly on that race I thought Wesson and Flute giving the winner uh, yeah. a free pound I thought he shaped like comfortably the best horse in that race I know I know the winner was having his debut and, and this horse had a run but I thought he he looked the winner all the way through there, and I think Charles Bishop, especially close home, wasn't really wasn't really going for it. I mean, the race may have been over, but I wouldn't. I, I would personally back if they met again. I'd personally back the second uh, to overturn that fall. You missed a you missed a huge opportunity for a nice segue there, Tony, from what Ness was saying to Whistle and Blue. You just completely blew it. But you're okay. We'll move on. We'll move on. Um, Robbie Morgan. Power. Robbie Power retires. Kevin Blake. Um, I like, I'm a big fan of Puppy, just personally. I just think he's one of the nicest lads he'd meet. Um, he obviously has been struggling with injury. His hip has been giving him awful problems over the last few months. And he just said, look, uh, enough is enough. I don't really have anything more to do or that I would like to do. The pain is too much. And I'm going to go off into the sunset and enjoy my retirement. Um, we wish him all the best, right? Yeah, look, I'm always delighted when, when jump jockeys kind of go out on their own terms because there's plenty of them that don't, you know, and they they, they, they they finish up because of injury. He got to pick his moment and she look, it was a, it, it was it was a it was great to see him ride a nice winner earlier in the week too. When it, it was after that he announced the magic days and sure he's had a wonderful career in fairness. And I can it's a, a, you know, everyone wheels off the, the memories, etc. But I I'm just happy the fella's come out in his own terms because he has had a a tough time of it there. Like, geez, he got a bad facial injury there a few years ago. Bloody nasty now. Um, so for him to to walk away and, and get a send off uh, on such a big stage, it was just, you'd be delighted for him. No, absolutely. Yeah. A couple other points to take from Punchestown as well. Um, uh, any interest in backing Alaho for the King George, Tony Calvin? I think uh, if he goes there, he'll... App- I, I was really taken by what he did in the Gold Cup. And I know people say, look, I don't know, maybe some of the horses in behind, but like, he'd been a really good field. We were saying beforehand the strength and depth of that Gold Cup field. And this guy absolutely blew them apart. I thought it was... Do you remember when we did um, the weigh-in after the Cheltenham Festival and I just asked you, all, none of you looked, I asked you what, what price Alaho was for the King George. He was 8.6 at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I was very surprised he was that big. And apparently he was... I'm led to believe he was 16 to one immediately after the Ryanair for the King George. But yeah, if it goes there now, I think the last price I looked, I saw on the exchange was around about five to two. There's not many you would, uh, not many you would put up against him. It's just if no. Willie needs to get his up. You know, if Willie Mullins, you know, started started up his season a couple of months earlier, then God knows what kind of dominance he would have. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's worth a, worth a look. I mean, the article David Jennings wrote in the Racing Post on Saturday about 
just the depth and the level of, of Willie's dominance it is absolutely frightening. It really, really is. I mean, he's... I he don't runs know, the show. He, he runs the show over there. Yeah, you've only got, obviously, you've only got Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill and Aplutar. And other than that, I mean, he's, you're talking clean sweet material, aren't you? The, How do we solve this Willie Mullins problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Handicap him. The point, the point was made as well. He was obviously had a couple of high-profile horses injured this season going to Cheltenham, you know, including Fernie Hollow, who would have been about a two's on charts in the Arkham. It's, you, you look at, you look at, you know, the, you know, you just look at the, the scale of his horses and everyone must be thinking, give me a white flag to wave because um, it's, it's frightening, Dev. Frightening. And he's just, yeah, there's no sign. Even contemplating slowing down, I think, is 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 uh, the big thing as well. So look, I mean, he'll have even more armour next season to go to war with. Um, just a couple of, well, we mentioned an argument, obviously he was good again, but... Um, Jacques and Persuade, Kev, you could just uh, draw a line through Jacques. He ran a great race until the last, and then he was just put to bed. Um, Honeysuckle, you know, for next year's champion hurdle. I think, the, I guess the thing is, you know, and, and I don't know if we'll get to see Constitution Hill take her on because, you know, they have said repeatedly, if there's any doubt about her whatsoever next season, they'll just retire her on the spot. If she comes back at any stage yeah, and doesn't show her the full beans like Kev, she's going to be retired. So um, we might never get to see it. And sure. Yeah, and I, and I hope all those people that were that were trying to be smart hearts to say, oh, it's too early. Loads of time for it to happen, lads. I have a funny feeling they might look back and uh, say, oh, well, maybe we weren't calling that one right. But mm-hmm. um, like it was such an occasion there and such an atmosphere and such a such a, a feel good factor there on the day. Like, imagine if she had a racehorse to race against. Like, you know, you say like, it was such an occasion. I don't know. Like, Hugh, you were there broadcasting. I mm. was there. Uh, Did I feel it? No, it I didn't feel it. Was okay. it what I expected uh, in terms of atmosphere? And like, she got a little round of applause going out. That was fine. So did Puppy Power. She, like, you know, she beat nothing again. Like, she beat nothing like, again. She beat very really... little. She scuttled home. She did what she did. She jumped really well. She wins. Rachel's happy. Everyone's happy. But like she came back into the winner's enclosure. And I'm not going to lie. Maybe it's because we're just completely spoiled with Cheltenham or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that is what it is. But I walked, you know, I was there when she won at Cheltenham back in March. And the reception she got at Punchestown in comparison to the atmosphere, I know you can't expect the same amount of people, but just the atmosphere and the buzz at Cheltenham, I'd say it was like hugely decreased. There was, you know, obviously there was an appreciation. There was a bit of music. There was, there were plenty of people there to clap her in, but I think there was a general muted feeling of Jesus She's not beating yeah. I don't know. That, that was my it's, feeling. It's, I don't know. It's, surpri- it's surprising, Vanessa, because who would have thought that, that a horse being five to one on like don't, wouldn't really engage a wider audience? <laughs> like it, It's almost as if people appreciate competitiveness and, and you know, it's something mad, gen- it? genuinely exciting and a bit exactly. of an, an unknown factor, such <laughs> as if the highest rated novice herder in the history of the sport came over and took her on in her back garden. That might have got people a bit and I know, like you possibly. Say- now, I don't, I know, I don't want to get, get, you know, actually proposing that good racehorses take on good racehorses no. a little bit left field for national hunt racing these days but it would be nice occasionally well exactly and i think the thing is at that sort of price if she'd won by 30 lengths it would have been like fair cop incredible performance dead little and i know she's not a horse who's ever going to do that but 
scraping home, beating what she beat. Not scraping home. She didn't scrape home. It was a perfectly decent performance. But like Kevin said, there's no competitiveness there. Her price is abysmal. She she beats a very average horse. Not an average horse, but you get what I mean. And to be honest with you, I, it wasn't what I expected in terms of atmosphere. Uh, and look, for anyone, before, before anyone starts complaining, we're, and it's, this, that isn't a knock on Honeysuckle or a knock on Henry the Bromhead or anyone. No, it's not. Like they're, no, they're, no, they're, no. They're, they're, they're doing their job. It's just so yeah. depressing, the, the bigger picture, that we can't get uh, a meaningful rival. You know, even, even Epiton going for the mayor's race rather than taking her on again, you know. Um, but Kev, would you would you be applauding? Would you be applauding Manchester United for coming to Golden and taking on your local football team there and beating them 10-0? Like it's like, like it doesn't, really doesn't mean anything. anything. It, just when, when you, it just doesn't engage. Make it if that, if that was a handicap, it would have been more interesting. You know, she probably would have got beat, I dare say. When you um <laughs> obviously I was out of the piss in, in in Dublin on the Friday, didn't actually go, but you put out a jokey tweet and just the le- about the level of the performance. I mean, she actually beat a 149 rated horse three lengths off levels. I mean, Durasso actually, with carrying seven pound more, came out the equal of the winner, as, as did basically Senoir. I mean, it is okay to question, you know, just the merit of the performance. The merit of the performance just wasn't there. Uh, you know, you, even if you allow for the second improving, but, but then again, the placings of Senoir and uh, and Durasso suggests it, it you know, wasn't a big leap up from the runner-up. It, it, it really is. A, we all know to get a horse to, to race 16 times a win is a phenomenal achievement. We saw it with the likes of Big Bucks, et cetera, et cetera. Just getting a racehorse to, uh, to get there near its prime on 16 occasions is off the scale good. But you are allowed to question the merit of what she's beaten and the manner in which she's beaten him. And that was probably one of the most underwhelming performances at the end of a season, blah, blah, blah. But it, it really is okay to question it. You're not actually, you know, you're not actually slating the horse. Yeah, like, just just analysing the performance. Agreed. Like, to me, she hasn't looked as good this season. No, she hasn't. There's no getting you know, away from I, I, I don't think she's been, I think her, her, her very peak might, be, might have been behind her last season, if I'm honest. Mm. Well, and- well. Hugh, yeah. I bet you you're you're so two-faced, Hugh, because you sat on this podcast kind of half agreeing with us. But I bet you when you were broadcasting, you were giving it the big heave ho like she's the second coming and we oh, should. RTE oh. got, got massively overexcited. I was watching it. Did they? Yeah, <laughs> oh, I I'm telling you. Hugh, I wasn't, I so, wasn't, I wasn't like... on on Friday. I wasn't on on Friday. That was Jane Ooh. and Ruby and Barry. I was off on Friday. I was slightly taken aback with the overexcitement myself, but that's me being a little cynic. No, <laughs> I can just no, imagine. You was relieved you only called him two-faced. Be a big fire at two. <laughs> I can just imagine because in the moment, to be fair, I didn't know he wasn't on, but like you're expected as a broadcaster to throw the kitchen sink at an unbeaten mare winning a champion hurdle on his, on a home territory. But at the same time, so like part of you goes to that level because you're kind of expected to, and you think you should, but it's amazing with a bit of like, when you look back on it and you really think about it, you know, should you have thrown the kitchen sink at it? Or is it sort of one of those things where actually it was a bit of a mere performance. And if they were all stood there in a line saying this was the most amazing reception there ever was trust me when i say it didn't feel like that when you were there well just i don't know again we're not going to go deep down this rabbit hole again right because we're going to the questions in a second but i'm just telling you now if you want a snapshot 
of potentially what a fifth day of Cheltenham would feel like, and you go to Punchestown on the Saturday and you look at the absolute dog shite car that's there with racing, <laughs> and you look at people hungover and tired and fed up with basically the last week, and you transfer that to Cheltenham, lads, I'm telling you now, you are going to ruin the Cheltenham Festival. And I don't mean you are going to absolutely destroy it. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay, before we get into the questions then, um, TC, there is a proposal by the BHA to basically axe 300 races from the calendar season in a bid to improve maybe just competitiveness, the prize money, um, general state and health of racing overall. 300 races. Um, is, is that a significant figure, first of all? Do you think it will happen and will it make a difference, I guess, more importantly? Well, anything's better than, than nothing at the moment. Every column I write, tipping article, is just bemoaning the lack of runners. And clearly, it's not going to get better anytime soon unless drastic action is taken. Now, 300 fixtures isn't drastic action by any means. 300 races. 300 races, sorry. Uh, and whether they get that through, um, who knows? Because obviously, the tracks are, aren't really going to vote for it, are they? And I think Arena have already come out and said that they'll be against it. And, you know trainers and owners who are looking at easy easy small field races for them to hoover up they'll probably be against it as well so whether even 300 races gets through is another matter but the BHA needed to come out and say something because they've been silent on this issue for far far too long you can you know I think the quality jumps uh, review committee they came out with some blindingly obvious um, you know statements early uh, early on in the year and you, you need you needed a figure put to these where 300 races is probably nowhere near enough, but they probably tempered it to say if they went and said a thousand, then obviously it got no chance of getting free. 300 has got some kind of chance, but I doubt it will do. But uh, well, English English racing is, is in a bit of a mess at the moment. So I, I applaud the BHA for getting out there. Um, I don't think it will get through. If, if you have, say, typically, Kevin, if you have 10 meetings, say, Kevin, on a Friday and Saturday in the UK and seven races on each card, that's 70 races of a, of a weekend, say, between Friday and Saturday only. I mean, 70, 300, is it a significant number? Will it make any difference? No, it's a small, it's, like, it's a very small percentage. But look, I think everyone knows that the issue, that one of the, probably the main issue with British racing is there is too much racing. But the problem we have is that the, the, the financial model and the way British racing and everyone else makes money, it, it's in their interest for volume of racing. So, like, the model is clearly not suitable to the product, really. Uh, and that's a giant problem to have to tackle. Like, we, 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 less racing would be good for everyone, but it doesn't work financially at the minute. So, like, you have to go down the road of completely reforming the way that um, the product translates into, into revenue for, for all the stakeholders before you can really tackle it. And, jeez, uh, we know how difficult it is to get anything done in British racing with all the, you know, the, the, the self-interest and the, and the various interest groups pulling in different directions. So, like, that, that is the challenge that British racing faces because we, we see the consequences of this every day, as TC says, tiny, tiny fields, you know, uncompetitive races. We're not... Um, the, the, the product that we have in terms of race courses and race horses is not realizing anything like its full potential because it's spread way too thinly. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, we'll see if it does go through, first of all, I guess, and uh, we won't know for quite a while if it's going to make any difference at all. Um, JP says, with Appleby's close relations with Al Zaruni, do we take these Glovin winners with a note of caution? We all know races did it with Doping, surely a former assistant. Um, to Al Zaruni winning big races like Bafford is suspect. Uh, yeah, shook. 
I guess it's well documented and um, Baffert's cases and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It will look. It will always be there because of a uh, you know the widespread you know El Zaruni uh, case. But yeah, I mean, I, look, you'd be very very disappointed, you know, uh, if if someone has you know, someone has uh, you know is engaging and is just polite and just just you know really really kind of like you can really take to Charlie Appleby can't you? you you'd be massively disappointed you know yeah for, absolutely for all absolutely. the operation has got a stain on it um Joe Larkin says I noticed this week Willie won't run his horses in the autumn until he gets soft ground then when it comes to punches and he runs them on good ground they all bolt in does he want soft ground for their first run or is there another explanation well, that was a great his horses? Uh, yeah, that, that'll be the long and the short of it he just doesn't want to start them off on quicker ground than ideal long season ahead like he he really trains them to kind of peak in March and April, so he doesn't want to get them off on um because like if you ran on, on quicker ground than ideal and they came back of a jar or something like that you know you're on the back foot straight away and um, that's the way he likes to do it and when you get to this time of year you realize God that's not a bad old way of doing things because he goes and wins you know a million plus at Punchestown every year. Very good question. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right, uh, David Brown says, what is the background of why Saeed bin Saror seems to have become the odd one out at Godolphin from outside. He has been loyal throughout and never rocked about. Seems like a nice fellow too. I don't know that. Be interesting the dynamics because obviously he's, he's done remarkably well, um, you know, for for the, the operation in the past, and uh, he is apparently very very close to to Sheikh Mohammed. So I don't know why, but obviously Amelby, Appleby's been given the ammunition, and he's not letting him let not letting him down, is he? So he's not gonna, not going to change anytime soon. Appleby no. is the golden boy, and he's delivering. Paddy says, um, "How has Nolan been made of Sinaway's previous trainers' drug offences?" And the question this raises about the winner of last year's Champion State surely this should be a talking point regarding the horse. Can't understand the blindness to a serious question. Yeah, like uh, you have to be careful there because, like, uh, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't been found guilty of anything. Like, it's, it's yeah, all I was say, like, it's, it's like still the, very up in the air, isn't it? Yeah, like, like they're very heavy-handed in France. They kind of go in and make arrests, and then they then they conduct their, their investigation. You know, so there's there's been a few cases in France over the years where there's been kind of high-profile arrests, uh, and you don't really hear anything of it again because it doesn't go the way obviously that the police or whoever thought it might be. So. I just be cautious of making assumptions. Um, of course, it, it raises questions, but um, you know, let the let let the the wheels of justice turn fully before you um, before you you know start talking about drug offences when he hasn't actually been found guilty of anything yet. Yeah, Liam D says, lads, why don't racing broadcasters just tell racecourses go off on time or we won't show? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Incredibly frustrating to see an Irish race on a split screen with no commentary because bloody Newmarket decided they would just take their merry time. I didn't understand what the delays were at Newmarket, actually. And I know people... They're, have, they're so laid back. They're just so <laughs> laid back. Yeah, they're just Newmarket. So like those big courses. But um, you, say I know, laid, you say laid back. I mean, that's just... that's just like All, all, all the big tracks are saying. I mean, Newmarket's got a, a very poor history. Unless, unless people pull them up on air and just say, what is going on here? Well, they do. Like I, I was listening to racing TV, and like they were kind of uh, Lydia and uh, possibly Nick. Like they're they're kind of openly joking about it, like how ridiculous it was. You know, I don't think it's for lack of people complaining and talking about it, but I think they need to be held to account by the by actual regulators. You know, I think if the, and you know we all know. Look, sometimes sometimes delays are inescapable, but like the example I always give is in Ireland, if something happens and there's a big delay. Like they will get the skates under them to catch up, and it's almost like it's a matter of pride for them to jump off on time. And they, I know from the end of year statistics, like they they release 
um, like punctuality statistics, you know, what percentage of races went off within one minute of the off time, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. And like it, it's something that they take pride in. And there doesn't seem to be the same level of pride and an amount of uh, emphasis put on that in, in quite a few big British tracks. I, I think I have seen a list of um, you know, late offs uh, a track in, in the past. So it'd be good to actually just publish a rolling list of that because Newmarket have got a bad reputation and so are the other tracks, the likes of Sandown and, and just the bigger tracks, just there's no urgency there. As, like as Kev said, if it's a badge of honour in Ireland, and I think there was a, a case where they caught up uh, half an hour was it a call because yeah. there was a yeah, minute yeah, yeah, half yeah. an hour and by the end of it they were bang on time i mean it's you need you need the clerk of the course pulled up on on, on tv or you need the bha stewards to actually go in there and, and start enforcing this there might be other there might be other factors at play here but when you just get a mambling down at the start and they're already five ten minutes late it's mm. and to answer liam these question unfortunately it would be great if it was but it's definitely not as simple as just not showing it because you didn't go off on time Okay, Stephen Holland says, "Why do jumps horses seem to peak at nine? As Willie Mullen said, we're talking about Alaho, but a flat horse would peak at four or five. Surely a set of balls isn't the answer." Yeah, geez, I, I don't know how much evidence there is there. To say they peak at nine. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good question, and it is something. When I saw the question, it's interesting because you know everyone has their opinions of when flat or jumps horses are at their peak, but there's no real evidence to show one way or another. So it's all just a guessing go- game, and it goes yeah. in trends of what other people, what trainers and horsemen keep telling us. There, I, to my knowledge, I don't think I've seen any real evidence or stats on when a horse does peak yeah the other thing is there's a danger of how you measure this as well like if you measure a peak by peak rating you know that's not necessarily measuring what you wanted to measure because because of the way racing is structured you know especially jumps racing with novice divisions etc like a lot of the time horses won't have an opportunity to to lash up the, the, the rating that they're fully capable of until they're a lot further down the line like in open company like horses can be can be pouncing away there, a novice company, and they, they don't you know hit their peak rating until they actually take on good horses um, in open company. You know, three years down the line. So, um, mm-hmm. like I, I'd be, I'd be, I sort in my mind, it's certainly a long way from nine years of age. I think it's a fair bit earlier than that. And it's and it's how they're campaigned and trained, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you get stories of you know French two-year-old jumping hurdles, don't you, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I only realized I was doing some random thing the other day and I realized um, Cotto Starr ran in his first jumps race when he was still two. Like it was early in his three year old season, but he was literally still two. He hadn't turned three yet. And uh, he went down and right. did what he did. I don't think he was peaking at nine. <laughs> he was no. peaking a fair bit earlier, just held it. Yeah. Certainly not. Um, Ivor Weatherly says, Poor race course, Wi Fi experience recently at Aintree. Linkfield, Newmarket, is it a deliberate ploy to force you to use on-course bookmakers? It is, Ivor. It is. I I don't know about it being a deliberate ploy, but it is a problem. Like, well, when I say a problem, it is kind of frustrating that in 2022, you can't just have decent Wi-Fi coverage. Like, no one's looking to sit and watch Netflix or... Well, I was going to make a really inappropriate comment about the House of Commons then, but I'm not going to bother. Uh, watching, watching tractor videos. I was going to say, I was trying to download a tractor video at Punchestown. It just weren't at me. Disaster. 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 It's disappointing that you can't just get on your Wi-Fi to like look up something, have a bet, do whatever you want to do. Um, I'll tell you what, I, 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 I tell you what, if Boris, if Boris Johnson was standing up in front of me making a, some sort of, or Jacob Reese vlog I'd be watching porn as well. <laughs> anyway. um, ah, right. Love, love a Massey Ferguson. 
Dickie Cleary says, uh, last one, uh, maybe you can switch the focus a little to ISPs. They remind me of the old LIBOR fixings, whatever that is, Tony. Oh, Big firms getting away with blue murder. Uh, it's it's always been under scrutiny. There's a lot of talk about the industry SPs being getting a lot poorer. I, I haven't looked into it to any depth, but you get some, you know, some really good uh, examples. You had a horse that was a massive drifter went off a oh god, what's the name of the horse? Uh, anyway, it won it won at a bet for SP of seven point eight, uh, and now he returned nine to two. And there's no each way angle to the race. So, but when you're getting a differential between bet for SP and industry SP like that. Something's clearly wrong, but it might just be a very late drift. So, but yeah, I mean, okay. there has been a, a, a lot more talk about um, industry SPs not being not being great. But obviously, bookmakers are giving all their uh, give their own prices in the lead up to to the races mm-hmm. now. So, it's it's a bit of a muddle. You've asked the on course bookmakers how an SP was returned, and they can't tell you. Okay, all right. Um, thanks to everyone who sent in the questions, by the way, and we did get to all of them. Um, did you all get your gold medals, by the way? For, uh, we're, we're celebrating like mad over the weekend. We, we won some serious podcast award there on Friday after a steward's inquiry, it should be said. Uh, apparently, one of the other podcasts in contention was uh, fiddling all sorts of things. But anyway, look, we, the, the, stewards, the stewards overturned the initial decision based on whatever evidence they had. Uh, but the, the upshot is that racing only better um, won an award. Kev, you're delighted, Kev, aren't you? The best betting podcast, I believe. The, the, the Kevin, smart, Kevin was the so smart betting, The Smart Betting Club Awards. We better give him the name check, you guys. Uh, yeah, there you go. Kevin <laughs> was so delighted that he went out on the piss when he heard. And I've never seen a more broken man than when I saw him in the hotel corridor the following morning when he I was fine you I mean if that is if that is fine that's a worry honestly I, I walked away and I thought there's that Kevin Blake and he makes himself out to be all like my body is a temple and I'm holier than thou and yeah. now look at him and on, and on top of that I'm related I did, I did a podcast an hour later Vanessa I can't even do yeah, that yeah well it doesn't say much about the podcast does it and on top of all of that I've been reliably informed that the man claims again to be the sort of like fitness big into his boxing can run 5k and he couldn't run from one end of Joseph O'Brien's gallop to the other without stopping going up the hill <laughs> and Vanessa, when the next time you're down on the hill we'll tug you off now we'll see how you get on up the hill <laughs> the difference is here Kevin is that I'm not claiming that I could it was an emergency back at Golden, so you uh, came out to miss Friday's racing. And oh, yeah. Emergency. His bed needed lying in, uh, apparently. <laughs> uh, poor poor <laughs> Shelley. Was it Shelley? Poor Shelley got thrown under the bus in a major way. Yeah, Shelley's fine now. I'm glad you're concerned. Yeah, she's back working today. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, well done, team. Well done. Um, absolutely brilliant work. And this bank holiday morning as well to record this podcast my name is an achievement in and of itself. Uh, back at Racing Only Better on Thursday to look ahead to the weekend. So uh, tune in for that. My thanks to Vanessa, to Kevin, and to Tony. Right, lads, good luck. Find yourselves.